biohacking, performance, mastery, mindset. This is a show about getting better every single day. The Hack Life with Joel Levin. Welcome to the show. All right, hey, it's Joel from The Hack Life, and I am here with Dr. Michael Twyman, the biohacking cardiologist from St. Louis, Missouri. Is that correct? That is correct. Thank you for having did I say, me. Did I say your name right? Twyman? Twyman, Twyman yeah. Okay. English. I, I can resonate. I have a Welsh last name, so it uh, it always gets butchered though. So um, welcome to the show, man. I'm I'm really like super, I'm really pumped to just to have you on. Um, I've been going through your page and just checking out all the stuff that you're up to. And you're not the normal cardiologist. You're doing a lot of cutting edge things. And um, yeah, I'm just really excited to dig in. And I'm sure there's just so much when people, so many people I'm sure have a lot of questions when it comes to heart attacks, heart disease, all of that. And we're going to, we're going to take care of that today. And then I think there's a lot of other cool stuff that you're up to that people don't know about. And so I want to get into that. Um, having said all that though, can, let's just start it off. Um, like, tell me the day you realized you wanted to be a cardiologist. Like that's a very specific field, I imagine. Well, I always knew I wanted to be a physician since about the fourth grade didn't know I necessarily wanted to be a cardiologist probably till, you know, third year of medical school. And uh, medical school, they send you through all the different rotations. So you get experience with, you know, surgery, OBGYN, psychiatry. And for the longest time, I actually thought I was going to be a pediatrician. Um, but eventually the, uh, the pediatric cardiology just, um, it was just too hard for me to see the kids struggling. So I figured out oh, I'll wow. take care of the adults, the, the people who uh, make some bad lifestyle choices. I'll try to put them back <laughs> together. Um, and cardiology was just fascinating. The, you know, the physiology of how the heart works. You know, there's some imaging of the heart. There's, you know, rounding in the hospital. There's doing procedures. There's talking to patients in the office. So no day was ever the same. So I just thought it was a very fascinating career to, to go into. Wow. Is there, is there anything now that, and how long have you been doing it? I finished the uh, cardiology fellowship in uh, 2012, but I've uh, been a physician since 2002. So since 2002 and kind of everything that you've you've learned and you've amassed over the years, and is there anything that like surprises you now? Or is there anything that's like surprised you of like kind of what, you, what you've learned throughout all this time and what's, what's changed? It's a great question. Um, you know, I did you know, 10 years of training post-college and it's great for, you know, when you're really sick to, to have those acute skills to put people back together. But now that I've uh, kind of, you know, I don't know, I'm not going to even consider myself middle life. I'm going to say I'm a, maybe quarter life. I'm trying to try to beat a grandmother's record of 106 years old. So, <laughs> oh, um, so I kind of really gone into the, like the longevity uh, medicine type of uh, kind of modalities in the past couple of years. Um, and it's really realizing that reconnecting with nature and, you know, using biohacking or health optimization. Um, it's really the basics, you know, how you sleep, how you move, how you feed the body, how you deal with stress. Those are so much more important than whatever pills you're going to pop in your body. Okay. So you are known as the biohacking cardiologist. Well, what does that mean? And, and like, how, how, what does that mean? And how are you biohacking cardiology? So I kind of self proclaimed myself that in uh, 2017. Uh, my wife wanted to go to Bhutan, where the happiest people in the world exist. Um, Bhutan's a country about the size of Indiana. It's sandwiched between China and India. And it's about a 14-hour flight from St. Louis. So I've tried to read up a little bit about how to not die from the jet lag flying 14 hours. So knew about melatonin, of course, but I stumbled upon some article from Asprey talking about blue blocking glasses and uh, bought the pair, did not understand the science at that point, just warm on the plane and 
essentially looked like the Unabomber on the plane. You know, I had the hoodie on, the headband, and the glasses, and you know, slept decently once I got over to the the other side. And you know, the jet lag was maybe, in my estimation, like a third of what I thought it should have been. And so I was like, man, there's something to this light thing. So after the trip, came back and really went deep down the rabbit hole of how light affects your biology, and basically been doing that for the past three years. And uh, so now everybody in St. Louis Tech kind of calls me the, the biohacking cardiologist because I'm always talking about you know the glasses and you know the photobiomodulation, the red light boxes and stuff. So. Okay, so you're a cardiologist, though. So, again, I mean, everyone like big deal. Blue, okay, blue blocking glasses. We okay, we know about blue blocking glasses and how they're good for you. But are you seeing any like any trends with with light and and blue light or any light with with the heart? For sure. I mean, the you know, especially during this uh, pandemic, people are you know drawn inside more. They're you know they're communicating, working via Zoom. You know, I've been on four hours of Zoom calls prior to this today, and you know, uh, if I wasn't you know, you know, adjusting my circadian rhythms, protecting my eyes, you know, I would be devastated with you know eight hours a day of computer time. Um, so, you know, you're you know two thousand people a day in the U.S. die from cardiovascular disease. Uh, so you know, how you deal up with your daily habits is going to decide if you're going to be one of those people sooner than later. So I'm very strict in teaching myself and patients about, you know, how do you really adjust your circadian rhythm every day? And it starts with the light that enters your eyes. And so by just adjusting the light, though, that we're, you know, getting into our eyes and our bodies and however we're getting this light, you're seeing, though, a correlation with that and just, uh, I guess, the heart and then, or is it just overall health, which in turn affects the heart? It's probably the the basis is really more on, you know, getting people a high quality sleep. Um, you know, if I wasn't a cardiologist, I probably would be probably going to sleep medicine now just because I realized the importance of that time for the body to do autophagy, apoptosis, kind of repair the mitochondria at night. Um, so, you know, people you know, always want to focus on exercise and, you know, nutrition. But if you don't get those things, you know, I should say that, you know, you can get those things right, but if you don't sleep well, you're not going to consolidate the gains from, you know, putting in the healthy fuels and doing the, you know, the hard work in the gym or outside. Uh, so sleep is the key. And, you know, the things I really set, you know, the time for sleep is, you know, again, the light environment that you've been exposing yourself throughout the day, especially the, you know, avoiding the artificial light at nighttime. Yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. So in your practice and you're, you have a private practice, correct? Correct. Yeah. About a year ago, I launched my own practice. What was the uh, what was the impetus for that? Where did you feel like some of the things? I know just from talking with other other doctors, you know, they feel kind of stymied and held back in some of the things they can say in in a hospital setting. Like you have all this knowledge in the biohacking or just alternative health world, but a lot of them feel like, well, I can't say that because um, I'm not allowed to per whatever the guidelines are that I'm. Is, was that some of the reasons or what, what led you to that? It wasn't so much that I couldn't say things. It was just more that the time constraints of some of those. Uh moments, you know, I, you know, would really try to hammer on upon people like, you know, focus on your sleep, maybe use these glasses, but you're trying to do that in a 20 minute visit where yeah. they wanted to talk about their blood pressure or their blood sugar, or their cholesterol, which are all important things. But if they don't sleep well, all those other things don't matter nearly as much. And I was doing a lot of hospital medicine at that point and, you know, taking care of people with acute heart attacks and heart failure and, you know, really sick in the ICU. And, you know, I still, you know, appreciate the ability to do that, take care of really sick people. But I kind of wanted to not take care of just people who are humpty dumpties and you're trying to pick them back up and keep putting them back up. I wanted to try to prevent people from ever getting there in the first place. And that really required me to kind of re, 
think about like how I was I going to you know provide this medicine and the best course ultimately was to kind of go out on my own and be able to uh, focus on you know reaching out on social media to grab the people who are interested in the lifestyle component of medicine and you know it may be a little bit bizarre to say like well why would i need sacroidalis i don't have a heart problem well my goal is you see me so you don't have a heart problem and if you do one you know i can kind of translate okay what is the general cardiologist going to be telling you what you need to do and okay do this during the acute problem but long term you're going to do this so you don't end up there again do you find that a lot um just something that you kind of resonate with what i said uh what you said sorry and that is like, I, I do a lot of biohacking, alternative health. I do a lot of just things to try to keep my engine and my, my body healthy. I would, and I, you know, I have health insurance, but I would never go to a cardiologist just because, because on well, for me, honestly, a lot of the stuff that I think of Western MDs, I just don't trust them. I think, well, I think a lot of the stuff they're, they're, uh, they're spitting is 30 years old and uh, we can talk about that. So I wouldn't even go to one because it's, I would assume they're going to give me some procedure or something that that's just archaic and is old. So I'm not even going to go to it, but you're, so do you get people like me? Like I'm, I think I'm healthy, 38 years old. I work out, I do stuff. And then they show up with you and you do some kind of exam. You're like, Hey, you know, you, you could be better here. For sure. And those are the people actually I want to get my hands on is, you know, the people who are, you know, 30 to, you know, 55 years old. I mean, I work with all age groups, but you know, that's kind of the sweet spot is the people who, you know, think they're doing everything right. You test, don't guess, look, you know, actually at the arteries, non-invasively and say, Hey, you have plaque in your arteries. You don't know, you know, what exactly is putting that in there at this point. If you work with me, you know, we can try to uncover one of these 400 things that likely puts that plaque in there, shut it off <laughs> so that you don't go on to have that first heart attack. And, you know, just looking at somebody from the outside, they can look super fit. I mean, you know, Bob Harper, you know, dropped dead essentially in the gym. Uh, he had high lipoprotein A, which 20% of the population has. It's a very inexpensive test to get. But if you don't get that test, you don't know if you're at high risk. Great point. And then... Okay, so here's a question. Because you just mentioned high, high lip, lipoprotein A, right? And, and I know there's like there's companies out there like Wellness FX, and they can kind of like do like each lipoprotein and mm -hmm. various sorts, so you can kind of get a, a better idea of like LDL and HDL. Now, there's a couple of books I've recently read, and one of them was actually Paul Saladino's The Carnivore Code, which I think you're you're familiar with, right? Correct. Carnivore I haven't read diet. the book, but I know of it. You know, yeah. So. And he talks, I think he's, he's walking around with like a cholesterol of like 500 and he says, no big deal. It's I'm not worried about it because his HDL le levels are in line. And I think LDL in general has gotten a really bad rap, right? Well, I mean, cholesterol is the substance that, you know, every cell in your body needs. So cholesterol sometimes gets called the boogeyman that, you know, it's, you know, it's in the you because it's going to give you a heart attack and, yeah, you know, without cholesterol, you're dead. Um, so it's not necessarily the cholesterol that's the problem. It's the lipoproteins that transport the cholesterol around. And so the lipoproteins are like little cars. They fill up full of triglycerides and cholesterol. When your body has more particles than your body needs, there's just a risk that they're going to drop off the cholesterol and it's going to get stuck in your arteries. But it's my mindset and you know, many of the people I read, it's mostly about inflammation. You know, if your immune system's always turned on, taking care of, you know, a chronic infection or you have a really, you know, poor standard American diet and your body's inflamed, well, then the cholesterol is getting damaged because the cholesterol is kind of a repair mechanism. Now that damaged cholesterol is what's actually getting stuck into your arteries. But back to his point, you know, I was on a podcast previously and somebody had cholesterols like that. I said, well, it's, well again, it's test no guess. You know, I don't look at just one number and say, oh my God, you're so high risk. 
why don't we non-invasive look at your arteries? And you know, that CT coronary calcium score test, not a perfect test, but if your CT coronary calcium score is zero, indicates you're not putting any hard plaque in your arteries that we know of, maybe that high cholesterol isn't a problem for you. But if somebody came to you and said, hey, I'm a, I want to be on the carnivore diet and they you know, had a calcium score of 400, I'd be like, you're pretty high risk. There's not data that the carnivore diet long-term is going to be necessarily healthy for you. You just have to be more careful. How much and and how much do you think genes play a role in this? I know, you know, and, and another big uh, a big gene that gets tossed around is ApoE4. If you have this gene, you better be very you could be susceptible to, or you, you maybe you being on a keto diet or some kind of high fat diet may not be the best for you. Do you do a lot of that with in your clinic, or or does that come into play? For sure, and you know, ApoE is a. Um complex kind of topic. But from a cardiovascular standpoint, you know, there's an ApoE2, a 3, and a 4. You get one copy from your mom, one copy from your dad. Normal's a 3 and a 3. But if you have a 3 and a 4, uh, you have an increased risk of cardiovascular disease. If you have a 4 and a 4, you definitely have an increased risk. And it essentially will increase your um, ability to hold on to cholesterol. You just tend to have higher levels of cholesterol, uh, even if you're, you know, exercising and eating healthy diets. Um, you tend not to respond well to pharmaceuticals at high doses, the, particularly the statins. You're at high risk of um, metabolic diseases, prediabetes, diabetes, and Alzheimer's, which is probably Alzheimer's, was probably diabetes type three of the brain, just inflammation in the brain. So, uh, you know, evolutionary ApoE4 was beneficial, probably for some like parasites and some other uh, benefits, which aren't necessarily as uh, important in modern day, but. Um, but I routinely will check ApoE in patients because, you know, I know we're going to have a discussion a little bit about statins later, um, is that if, you know, if patients have an ApoE4, I'm generally not going to recommend them the highest dose of statins if they're a good candidate for a statin. Um, so, but back to your original question about, you know, genetics, how important is it? It's probably maybe 10% of, you know, diseases, chronic diseases are truly baked into your genes and there's not much you can be able to do about it. You know, 80, 90% of it's going to be your epigenetics. It's, you know, what you're doing in your local environment that turns those genes on or off. So I'm very proponent of it, you know, to really focus on your mitochondria because that mitochondria genotype is much more important. You know, how do those little things inside your cells make an energy? How do they work? And if you can get those things making energy, you can reverse a lot of chronic diseases. That's so cool that you said that. I, I'm really happy you did. You know, and I know a lot of people I just talked to in passing, there's still that belief that oh, well, it's my genetics. That's why I feel this way. That's why I have arthritis. That's why. And it's like genetics, like you said, it's just, it's, I think I've heard one functional doctor say it's what loads the gun, but mm -hmm. epigenetics is what pulls the trigger, right? So like your environment, what you put in your body, the input, what are you getting? The light, right? Which you know all about. Um, those are like some of the key things. Um, so I'm really, really happy that, yeah, you said that. Um, when it, you had said earlier in the interview, you said, yeah, that's like one of 400 things <laughs> that we'd have right. to like look at, right? To like, in, in terms of preventing um, heart disease, right? What, in, in your opinion though, is there any, like, what are some like big ideas when it comes to heart disease as far as prevention? Are there like, are there like some really like big central themes that people should be looking at or thinking about if they're trying to prevent this plaque building up in their uh, their arteries? It's a great question. And that's obviously what you know, my main focus is at my, uh, my day job, um, is getting people, finding out where they are in that spectrum. You know, cardiovascular disease is extremely common, but it doesn't mean it has to be the end of you. But the first thing is, you know, I learned this from Dr. Khan, you know, tests don't guess. You know, you 
can't just look at somebody's blood pressure, blood sugar, cholesterol, and they smoke and throw it away and say, you're good or not good. That's just not enough information. And using something like the Framingham risk score, you know, that was good when that was the only data that was available. But in you know, this day and age, it's somewhat antiquated. You're trying to do population like, okay, if you have these numbers, you're likely high risk. Why don't we do an end of one and look at you? Are you high risk? And there's great non-invasive tests that will look at it. So you know, I kind of do three main tests in my office to take a look at your arteries. You know, The one that would look at, have you put any plaque in your arteries? It's called the CT coronary calcium score. It's about a $100 x-ray of your heart arteries uh, looking for calcium in the walls of the artery. Calcium is supposed to be in your bones and teeth. If it's building up in your arteries, that indicates that plaque is building up in your arteries. Your score should be zero, but six out of 10 people who do that test are going to have a positive score. A score over 400 is high risk, over 1,000 is very high risk. You know, you're probably going to end up you know, definitely on aggressive medication, but you know, potentially those are the people that are going to need stents, bypass surgery. Um, then the other test I'm doing in the office is called the carotid, carotid intimomedial thickness scan, or CIMT for short. But it's an ultrasound of your neck artery. It's not necessarily looking for uh, the flow in the artery. That's what it is that chronic duplex is. But this is looking at the wall thickness. If your arteries are thicker than they should be, your biologic age and vascular age may you know, be mismatched. So I'm you know, currently 44 years old. My arteries were like 39 years old when I scanned them. But you know, I had some guy the other day who was 61. His arteries were like 42. I was like, good job. Wow. Uh, you're doing, doing what you're supposed to do. Um, but you'll see that... Uh, thickness improve if you know the inflammation in the walls of your arteries improving so if your arteries are younger than you are then whatever you're doing is working for you and then the third test i, I will recommend to patients doing is a test that measures your nitric oxide essentially you know how much can your arteries dilate uh, endothelial dysfunction is the first marker of cardiovascular disease so your endothelium is the inner lining of your blood vessels it's one cell thick if you laid out all your endothelium it's about the surface area of six tennis courts but if the endothelium gets damaged uh, then things start kind of leaking between it. I really don't like the word leaky gut, but it's kind of like leaky artery. So if the mm-hmm. yeah, endothelium isn't working well, things don't uh, work well. But the the endopat test, non-invasively in 15 minutes, tells you, uh, essentially like with a stress test, to your arm, uh, blood vessels, how much nitric oxide can they release. And if you have healthy endothelium, you're much less likely to be putting plaque in your arteries. So first do a kind of a structural evaluation, you know, what is going on in the arteries, and then do the biochemical. So, I mean, I do a very you know advanced lipid panel, inflammatory markers, looking at some other uh, genetic markers and some more novel risk factors of cardiovascular disease, and then kind of come to the point like, okay, this is what's most likely putting the plaque in your arteries. This is how you shut off the faucet, and this is how you kind of start repairing the damage. Wow. So using those three tests as a guideline, that that really gives you kind of a good um, blueprint and kind of a good format for how you how you assess people. It's like um, it's just a great. It's like almost like, it reminds me of like maybe like a mobility specialist or somebody who watches somebody move. They can say, okay, I use these diagnostics to kind of see what I need to change, what I need to strengthen, what's weak, what's short, what what we need to lengthen and strengthen. You're doing the same thing for the heart, right? Yeah, yeah that's at, awesome. Have the blood vessels. Look at them directly. That's amazing. Um, because and so you really can't. You know, I was thinking when I was thinking of like main ideas. You re- there's nothing that really because it's so bio individual. You really can't just say, "Hey, in general, do these three things, and you'll you know lessen your chance of of uh, heart disease because you do so many different diagnostics." And what I'm thinking about when I ask this question is I read uh, Dr. Catherine Shanahan's book, Deep Nutrition. I'm not sure if I'm familiar with that one. 
she she uh she had just came out with another book actually recently too and what she talks about are some of like some big main ideas when it when it comes to health and one of them being vegetable oils um get that out of your diet so canola oil grapeseed oil all the all that junk uh sugar being another one like eliminate all of that i mean obviously it's that can be difficult right um, and then she just talks about kind of coming back to these, you know, bone broths and these, and these like really just ancient kind of, not ancient, oh well, yeah, ancient kind of like cooking, right? And she talks a lot about that as far as really reversing some of these, I think vegetable oils being one of them and sugar being like two major culprits when we see, when we think of heart disease. Do you kind of have that same understanding or, I mean, or is it, or for you, is it just a lot bigger than that because there's so many other metrics involved? I would say it's actually probably even a little bit deeper um, in that, you know, food is information from your environment. And so, you know, I, I don't focus so much on, you know, the nutrients per se. It's, you know, the carbohydrates, the fats, the proteins, they come into your system. They're ultimately getting broken down into hydrogen and electrons that get fed into your mitochondria for fuel. So people sometimes get hung up on like, well, I'm putting premium fuel into the engine. If you don't tune up the engine, it doesn't matter how good the fuel is going to be. So yes, I'm all into, you know, eating clean foods, whole, you know, real foods. You know, if it's in the box or can, you know, and it's man-made, that's just wrong information going into your system. Um, so, yeah, my kind of big tenets on nutrition are mostly, you know, time-restricted eating, you know, not starving yourself, but, you know, giving time for the liver and gut clocks. Literally, there's these clock genes that turn on and off depending on when the nutrients come in. So if you want to go for optimal, go for 12 hours or less, ideally probably 10 hours a day of where you're actually putting food into the system. Water all day as long is fine. As for the fats, you know, saturated fat sometimes gets a really bad rap that, you know, you eat something fatty, it's going into your arteries. It's not It's not that simple, and it's actually not been proven it to be that way. But, um, you know, mostly the things I talk about for fats is, you know, I, on the blood test, I do check the omega-6 to omega-3 ratio or the omega-3 index and see how well is your body absorbing omega-3s. DHA, one of the components of omega-3, is extremely important for brain health, but essentially you can think of it as also like insulation. It's, you know, what transmits energy from your environment to your mitochondria. So if you have low DHA levels, you know, it's like a half-charged iPhone. It'll work for a while, but not nearly as well as you want it to. And then protein is, you know, the key to keeping your muscle mass up. You know, your muscles are your metabolic engine. I learned this from my, you know, colleague and friend, Dr. Gabrielle Lyon. She's, you know, the expert in protein metabolism. So you need the resistance training to strengthen the muscle, but also the timing of the, the, the protein, you know, 30 grams, three times a day, get your leucine in to do muscle protein synthesis. So focus on those three things mostly, and then fine tune everything else based on the results of what the blood work shows. So yes, you know, sugar is a problem for some people, but Honestly, if they don't get their sleep right, they don't get their light right, you know, you're going to be chasing yourself. They're still going to have high blood sugars, even if they're eating clean, low carbohydrate. Just getting too much blue light at night and not sleeping well can cause you to be pre-diabetic. Whoa. Okay. Okay. Let's right there. Let's talk about let's talk about light and why it's so important. Like you just, I don't know if people caught that, but you talked a lot. You talked about a little bit about light, just in terms of circadian clocks and gene clocks and how important that is for regulating, you know, our, our sleep and our gut clocks as far as when we take in, um, nutrition and stuff, you know, and, but, but so talk a little bit about why, and, and you mentioned it already about blue light, but 
what are some big ideas for you? And I, and I've seen your Instagram page. You're very bullish on red light specifically. Why is that? So, I mean, you know, red light is something that balances out the artificial blue light that most people are getting exposed to. So, you know, for the video, you can probably see my shirt's kind of red. I, mean, yeah, I always have a kind of red, red light. light. I always have a red light in the room. Yeah, I always have a red light in the room that kind of balances off the, the technology. But, you know, red light or photobot modulation is how you use these panels, red and infrared, to essentially, the easy way to think about it is it charges up your mitochondria without having to eat food. So it repairs muscle inflammation, damage. Um, you know, I got interested in it, you know, how could you use this for cardiovascular benefits? Uh, most of the data literally was out of Russia. So because of the Cold War, all that data was buried for a long time from the, the Western scientists. So it's only now kind of getting rediscovered. But, you know, there's data in Russia that, you know, they did not have the same medications and stents that we did in the 90s and stuff. So they were using... Uh, IV lasers and topical lasers to treat patients with uh, cardiovascular issues, you know, helping with blood pressure, helping with angina, chest pain. Um, so I was just trying to get interested in like, well, how could I sort of bring that to uh, my current patient population or at least use it for prevention? Took a very fascinating uh, eight-hour photobomb modulation course the other month, and they're talking about how you could use red light therapy to stimulate stem cells. And if you can stimulate your stem cells, well, then those are going to go to wherever there's damage. And there's a a very small trial done in Israel with like 24 patients having heart attacks. Half of them got treated with light therapy uh, right during the uh, the procedure. So, you know, they all the patients got stented, got all fixed up. But the people that got the, the light therapy on the day that the uh, heart attack happened and a couple of days after, they essentially had half the size of heart attacks because uh, wow. the light essentially gave energy to the mitochondria in the heart that those mitochondria didn't allow those cells to die while uh, there was an oxygen coming to the system. So um, right now it's more still theoretical how exactly this is going to be played out in the cardiovascular world, but it plays out well since I've been thinking about this since 2017 is how does light affect your biology? And so now I'm going deep down the rabbit hole of how photobiomodulation modulation actually works. You know, I saw, I saw a post of that you had on, on your Instagram and you actually had, it looked like an IV with light yeah. going into it. Is that the specific light you're kind of talking about? Or are you talking about just like, panels of red light were on the people for both um so i mean the one you're talking about i did the iv blood irradiation with a there's a device called the weber endo laser um and it, it's it's overkill for uh, somebody who's healthy you know it's not something that uh, you need to go rush out and go do but uh, i have a friend here in st louis that uh, uh, has it for her patients and she treats a lot of patients with uh, cancers and autoimmune conditions and chronic infections and it's very beneficial wow. for those uh situations uh but yeah, a lot of the biohackers. Be, you know, what about like Lyme? Would that be another one? Correct. Yeah. I wow. mean, even, yeah, uh, they don't have indications for it, but I mean, in Germany, they're using it uh, experimentally to, to treat COVID because if they use the uh, uh, the UV spectrum on the, the wavelengths, you can essentially inactivate certain viruses. So, um, wow. so, uh, so it's very interesting for kind of chronic infections and other things. But, you know, some of the biohackers have, you know, just gone out there just to, to see what it what it's like. Um, but you definitely, um, you know, I've definitely had more energy for like probably 12 hours after doing it, you know, it wears off after the next yeah. day. But like, you know, I have one guy who's got an extremely weak heart. Um, and you know, about a third of your heart is mitochondria. So, you know, we got this guy on maximal medications, supplements, he's got a special, you know, pacemaker defibrillator trying to make his heart work better and things aren't still going well enough. So I said, well, why don't you go try this before you go consider getting a heart transplant? Um, so, but the IV laser, that was the, probably the definitely the most invasive, most craziest biohack type thing I've probably done so far. 
<laughs> is that something you think you'll bring to your clinic at Apollo uh, Cardiology? Is that something you you in the future you're looking at into? Um, I've definitely looked at it. Uh, I honestly don't know if I'll have the actual patient population uh, to support the IV component to it because um, because now I'm sort of getting into the you know more longevity and preventative stuff. So you know, hopefully my patients aren't sick enough that they need the you know the the big gun IV laser. But I would wouldn't hesitate to use it in the right population. So I'm more focusing on kind of the panels. So you know, I have a couple of different panels in in my office and in my house that I play around with. You know, got the the Weber Indo. Laser people make a watch that can shine oh. right into your radial artery and your ulnar artery. So sometimes if I'm on like a podcast or something like that, I'll run it on. So getting some beneficial light while you're sitting inside. So it actually irradiates at the wrist. Correct. Yeah, and what's it shine. called? The Weber? I'll put it in the show notes. Yeah. So what is this? This is the Weber Spectral Watch. Okay. And so it's actually sending or irradiating the, um, the, uh, at, at the wrist. And so you're getting that good kind of you, um, red light, those uh, nano waves into your into your body. Correct. Yeah, it travels off. The, you know, the red blood cells are kind of like ferry boats. They soak up that light and then take it to where it's needed. That's fantastic. Um, one of the things you mentioned too, uh, just right there, was you talking about COVID. Um, we've seen a lot of uh, information saying that COVID it's attacking the endo the endothelium, right? The endothelium cells, and that's why people are having heart attacks. I believe. Yeah, I mean, it's, you know, it, it uh, gains access through the, uh, the uh, receptors in the lungs. Um, and, you know, patients who have high blood pressure and cardiovascular disease have uh, upregulation of that uh, um, receptor, so they're just more prone to catching it. Um, but, you know, I, yeah, I'm definitely not an expert in COVID. And uh, because of the way I set up my practice, you know, it actually um, took me out of the hospital. So I've not been rounding in hospitals ah. where the majority of these patients are going to be located. So uh, most of mine is just... Uh, Reading uh, a lot of uh, you know primary sources and finding out ways to really boost people's metabolic flexibility, and so that they don't get the virus in the first place, or if they do, they're going to have much more of a mild case. So, obviously, a big proponent of uh, you know maximizing your vitamin D status the natural way. You know, if you're popping a pill, you know your body's immune system is first programmed by the sunlight that hits the skin. So, you know, if you have a artificially high vitamin D level because you've been popping a pill, but you still don't go outside your immune system isn't going to work nearly as well as you expect it to. And that's the whole key is that, you know, in the, like the 1918 uh, pandemic, it was mostly younger people dying because their immune systems were so overactive when they got the virus. You know, that's the, that's the kind of the cytokine storm story. So if you optimize your immune status by getting outside, literally skin in the game and boosting your vitamin D level to 60, 70 naturally, um, your T regulator cells have been programmed. You're less likely to, Take the virus on, or if you do, your immune system isn't going to over uh, overreact and kind of kill off your cells while it's taking care of the virus. Yeah, love that. In terms of um, in terms of uh, heart attacks, I kind of want to transition. Sure, uh, talked a lot about heart disease. Now moving into heart attacks, is there anything, any other you know big ideas that you you think about, or is is the onset of heart disease is what leads to like someone having a heart attack or heart attacks, I think can be caused from stress and a lot of other things as well. Right. So how do you, when you see like big global picture of heart attacks, what are just some, you know, big ideas that you think about people should, in order to prevent, you know, heart attacks? Sure. First, I'd like to actually, you know, teach people, you know, what is a heart attack? You know, how does it actually occur? You know, um, 
you know, maybe even before, uh, you know, I fully did all my training, you know, you think of your artery as like a pipe and it just fills full of sludge. And after, you know, a while it's hundred percent blocked like a sewer. And now that's the heart attack. And it's really not that way. It's more that heart disease. And when I speak of heart disease, it's more that atherosclerosis or damage to your arteries. It's the walls of the arteries are sick and it may be many years before, uh, you know, the plaque is going to be big enough that it obstructs the blood flow where the uh, where the lumen is, where the blood is flowing. So majority of people have no symptoms until they have a heart attack. And most heart attacks are caused by blockages that are less than 50%. So you have no idea that you have plaque in your arteries in the first place unless you do a calcium score or some other type of test that looks at that. Um, and then, you know, you think that you're in the clear. But um, I should back up a little bit is that, you know, one of the classic tests that people think that, oh, I'm probably good is, you know, they've done a stress test and there's, you know, multiple different types of stress tests. You know, they put you on just a plain treadmill and they run you until they tire out and see if there's any EKG changes. And if they've not, they say, well, you're good to go. But an EKG only stress test is maybe 70% sensitive. It's going to miss 30% of people who still have severe blockages. You know, you can add an imaging uh, modality. You can do an ultrasound, an echocardiogram while people are exercising, or you can do a nuclear imaging to look at the, the perfusion of the heart. That increases the sensitivity to the, like the mid-80s, so you're not going to miss as many people. But by the time a stress test is positive, you generally have to have a 70% blockage of one of your arteries. You're pretty late to the game. <laughs> and so, wow. you know, so if you fail a stress test, great. The test picked up severe disease. Okay, this person needs to be aggressively treated. But somebody passes a stress test, you still have no idea what is their true risk. You know, if they have really excellent exercise capacity, it's likely to be lower. You know, if they, they rock out on the Bruce protocol 12, 15 minutes, okay, you know, you have very good cardiovascular condition, but you can still have plaque. You got 60,000 miles of blood vessels. You know, there's some of these ultra marathoners and stuff like that. You know, they get heart disease because they sometimes push themselves so hard, they never let their body recover. And that inflammation from the exercise ends up damaging the arteries, kind of the innocent bystanders. So just because you're completely fit, does not mean that you're at low risk of heart disease. You still need to go taking a look at the arteries sometimes, and that's you know non-invasively, of course. Wow, oh, that's awesome! Thanks for breaking that down. That was great. Um, you know what are so what are what are some um what are some things that you do? Then you know you, you, this is what your field is. You know you're a cardiologist, so you're seeing patients all the time and every day. So what are some big things that you're doing on a daily basis that that you think about in just overall health and, you know, preventing, preventing all these heart disease, heart attacks. Cause these are like big heart disease is like one of those, the top four, I think like killers in the U S what are some, what are some practices that you try to implement on a regular basis to, for overall good health? It's a great question. And you know, I get that uh, a lot from my patients like, what are you doing personally? And I'm like, well, you know, follow me on Instagram. You'll see I usually post you know, most of the stuff I'm doing, but um, you know, usually to kind of say what a typical day and uh, the life of uh, a biohacking cardiologist would be is I'm up you know by 5 a.m. Um, oh. I don't uh, you know use artificial light in the morning if at all possible. Otherwise, I just have like a red LED bulb on to kind of keep your uh, cortisol levels as low as possible until the sunlight comes out. Uh, meditate in the morning first thing. And then I uh, usually work on the most important task that I need to work on that day. So if it's something marketing for the practice or I need to write something, you know, I do that the first hour of the day. Usually I have breakfast, 6.30, 7 o'clock in the morning. But sunrise right now in St. Louis is you know about 6.50 in the morning. So I'm always outside. I don't care how cold it is outside um, or how hot outside for the sunrise because that's the light of the day, which resets your circadian rhythm, tells you, okay, 
like a GPS clock. This is the time of day. This is how you make your neurotransmitters. This is how you make your hormones. Go. So do that. Go to work. Um, and then, you know, sometimes it's telemedicine-based. Sometimes it's, you know, actually in the office-based. Uh, and then typically work out more in the evenings than the morning times. Um, and doing, you know, resistance training. Uh, right now I'm playing around with the X3 bar. So doing some. Yeah, uh, I got one uh, of those. Yeah. That, I've only injured myself twice with it. Uh, nothing too major. Uh, yeah, <laughs> How did you injure yourself? Yeah, that, that's a good side note. So one was, uh, you know, <laughs> keep taking it off from a press and the bank, I snapped back and caught me in the forehead, gave me a nice little kind of bruise for a little while. Yeah. Um, and then the other one was like, you know, you're looking at those bands and the one looks like a tree trunk. I mean, it's huge. And, you know, it says, you know, it's like, you know, 600 pounds pressing like, and I'm not that strong. I'm yeah. built more like a cyclist or something like that. But so I was like, well, let's see, can I even press this thing? And like, I was able to do like a couple, I'm like, that's crazy. And the next day, like I couldn't move my left arm hardly. Like I thought like <laughs> I slept on funny, but I like got like bicep tendonitis, like horrendous. Like I thought like, oh my God, like tore my bicep or something like that. So of course being a biohacker, really, like ton of red light and, uh, you know, curcumin and a bunch of other stuff I normally don't necessarily take, but lower the inflammation and it got better in a couple of days. So went back to the X3. So X3 and now I recently got a, you know, a Peladon, um, you know, to do some hit training because I, you know, the gyms around here, you know, they, some of them are open, some aren't, but the ones that are open, they, you know, they want you to wear a mask while exercising. Like, yeah, I'm not getting into the mask debate, but like if you're exercising uh, and you're getting hurried 180, 190, it's really, really hard to wear a mask and doing that. You know, it's a challenge yeah. at best. It's probably dangerous at, uh, you know, at the minimum. Um, so end up getting our own bike, but uh, I was posting a little bit of like how you can biohack a Peloton bike. You know, you can plug it into Ethernet, turn off the Wi-Fi, turn off the Bluetooth, uh, you know, the power pack, you know, put it far as away from the, the seat as possible. And then, you know, the magnetic fields, the RF fields are as low as possible. So. Very cool, man. No, go ahead. And say, you know, that's the, the the nutrition part of it. You know, yeah, I, I usually am in a 12-hour window. I usually try to get less. Um, I basically follow paleo template for the past seven, eight years. You know, I'm not perfect in eating by any means. Uh, but, yeah, I focus more on, you know, the my, you know, the mitochondria and, you know, the uh, the timing than I necessarily do about the fuel sources sometimes. And then I'm, I'm you know, very strict on uh, sleep hygiene. You know, I you know, sleep like a rock star. I mean, I've had a ur ring since I came out off Kickstarter. Um, yeah. I don't necessarily wear it all the time anymore because I, I already know how I can sleep. But so if I'm doing something, you know, different with my biohacking, you know, don't want to see if it affects the, you know, the deep sleep, I'll put the thing back on. Um, but really focus on getting, you know, I'm usually in bed 9, 30, 10 o'clock and, you know, get seven hours or more of sleep a night. So I really focus on the recovery part of it because like I said, you know, if you can beat yourself up all day long, but if you don't recover well, you're not going to have that longevity game. And, you know, great grandma Ola made it to 106. And so I got a, a lot of work to do <laughs> yeah. to beat her. So. Yeah, you do. And she didn't have red lights and she didn't have all these other cool hacks, right? Yeah. So. She didn't have all any of that stuff now. So. Yeah. Um, when um, I want to actually ask you a real quick question just before we, we move forward further before I forget, but, uh, just what's your take on, on, on statins, you know, especially as a mitochondriac that you are, we, there's, we know a lot, a lot now that the that statins are, you know, you, you always hear people say, well, if you're going to take statins, you better take COQ2, COQ10, because COQ10, mm -hmm. thank you. Because we know that that's going to take away from your mitochondrial health. So do you, how do you, how do you like think about statins and 
do you really, and if, and then after that, you know, what do you do to, is there other ways to that you can help patients without even taking stands? Sure. And you know, definitely there is. Um, so stands are a tool and you know, if you're at, you know, your arteries are on fire, you've just had a heart attack, you know, somebody's just dropped three stents in you, or you've had just had your chest cracked open and got four vessel bypass, you got to put the fire out. So yeah. you throw the kitchen sink at this person at this point, trying to cool things down so that you're preventing the second event. So stands are a tool in that instance. I mostly look at stands as something that lowers inflammation and stabilizes the plaque. So plaque is common. The goal is don't let that plaque rupture. You know, I didn't mention it before, you know, how heart attacks happen. You know, the plaque is kind of like a pimple or an abscess on the artery. If it gets red hot and inflamed and pops, all that damaged cholesterol and other cellular debris spills out into the bloodstream and a clot forms. That's truly what the heart attack is. So the stands are trying to stabilize that inflammation. You know, the stands, one of the main ways they work is lowering the cholesterol pool at the liver level. But unfortunately, it has other side effects where it is affecting the mitochondria and the muscles. Uh, it can, you know, basically decrease the way energy is being made in the mitochondria. And so if the mitochondria and the muscles aren't getting the energy they need, you get the myalgias, the muscle pains, or the exercise intolerance. So especially athletes will notice if they're on sands, they're not as powerful or not as fast. So taking CoQ10 with that might mitigate some of it. You know, there are different statin classes, so I tend to use one over the other um, because it's less likely to have the side effects. And we talked about earlier, the APOE. I routinely check that to see, okay, is this person even a good candidate? If they're an APOE 3-4 or 4-4, there's many times I say, like, I really don't think a statin's going to benefit you. You have much higher risk that it's going to cause problems. So I individualize it to each patient. You know, even the, the standard guidelines talk about uh, – utilizing the CT calcium score sometimes as a tiebreaker because sometimes patients come in and, you know, they have concerns, you know, I, I'm concerned like, you know, I've heard there's side effects of statins, you know, I, I don't necessarily want to take it unless I'm high risk or they say, you know, you know, my dad, you know, was on the statin for 20 years and, you know, I don't necessarily want to take it. Okay. Well go get a calcium score test. If your score is zero, then you're low risk. So let's work through lifestyle supplements or something else then. But you come back and your calcium score is 1,000, I'm going to be like, well, your risk of a heart attack is well over 10%. You may want to try to lower that. Stands are one of the tools that helps do that. But if people absolutely can't tolerate stands or, you know, just choose not to take them, you know, I'm not going to yell at them. It's their life. But I'll tell them, okay, these are some of the alternatives, you know, supplement-wise, or if you're going down the medication route, you can block the cholesterol production at the, you know, the way that the gut reabsorbs it. You can use different things that block the cholesterol production at the liver other than statins. So there's ways to to get at the, you know, the cholesterol question if you truly need to lower the cholesterol. That's fascinating. Um, are there any, uh, are there any testimonials or any patients that like stand out in your mind that were like just big success stories? Anything that like jump out at you when I, you know, someone who whatever had triple bypass or just somebody who was like, had some cholesterol that was enormous or that was just looked like a train wreck. And then after seeing you and doing some of the lifestyle things and, and, and following some protocols really reversed all that. Yeah. I mean, I, I mean, there's, there's multiple patients, but you know, kind of the, the story is, you know, that they come in, you know, they've been taking standard of care things and they think they're doing well. I get some tests. I find out that they're higher risk than they thought. Sometimes they end up needing, you know, invasive procedures and they get stented or, you know, they get, you know, one guy was like 48 years old. He had the highest calcium score test I had ever seen. His, you know, like I said before, the calcium score should be zero over 400 is high risk over thousands, very high risk. His was like near 6,000 and he was 48 Whoa. years old. I was like, there's something really bad going on. 
we took him, you know, pretty much the next day to the cath lab, took pictures of his arteries and every single his arteries was horrendously blocked up and we couldn't fix it with stents. It would have, there wasn't enough space and he also had this huge aneurysm in one of his arteries. So we had to send him to bypass at age 48. You know, it's very potential, you know, we saved that guy's life doing that study. So, um, so I have many of these patients, you know, they come back, you know, we're getting the arteries to get younger. Um, and, you know, my goal is that, you know, we give them enough energy in their mitochondria so they can go out and do what they want to do with that energy. Yeah, that's, 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 that's awesome. Um, anything, is there anything, you know, looking in the future right now that, um, that concerns you in that, in, in the health world or health aspects? Is there anything that you're looking forward, thinking that you're thinking about? I said the, probably the biggest thing that's still, you know, I think under-recognized is just, you know, people's relationship to technology and how it's really affecting their health. Um, you know, one, it's awesome. You know, we're connecting, you know, I'm, you know, in St. Louis, you're in California and we're having this conversation and this is going to help other people. Um, but the technology draws you inside too much. Um, you know, it disconnects you from nature, you know, yes, connect with people over the internet, but people need to connect with people in person. They need to really, you know, sample their biophotons and their energy and be, feel like they're part of a community. And I think technology sometimes, you know, interrupts that. Um, so, and then there's also the, the aspects of the, uh, the, the EMFs, the electromagnetic frequencies from it that, you know, sometimes tell people that the simple way to think of it is that, you know, EMFs, you know, are just different radio stations that your body listens to. And you may not be able to see them, but your mitochondria do. And sometimes it acts like a radar jammer. Your mitochondria are supposed to be looking for certain radio frequencies. They don't see it. And so they don't make energy like you want them to. Um, and it can cause a lot of inflammation and cause problems in the cells. So, um, so I would say, you know, use your technology wisely, um, and, but really try to kind of use nature to balance the balance that out. Yeah. Okay. That's great. Yeah. Cause I'm just thinking about like 5g and some of the things that are, that, that's it. You know. Yeah. yeah, 5G's <laughs> a, yeah I've done a podcast or do about it. like, you know, I'm definitely not a 5g expert, but yeah, you know, that the higher the, the G's on your phone is, you know, the, the higher the frequencies can uh, interact with your mitochondria. They essentially, you know, dehydrate, you know, your mitochondria. It's, you know, it's like putting meat in, you know, a microwave, it, you know, pulls out the water. And if you don't have water in your cells, they can't do what they're supposed to do. Yeah. Um, you know, one of the things that probably not a lot of people know about you. I mean, we we know you, you're we know about your the cardiologist. We know about your biohacking and, and just the scientific background. But one of the things that I found fascinating about you is just you are you're like a you're really like a constant learner and someone who just wants to take it to a higher level. And I know you've been to a lot of like conferences. What was that one conference we were just talking about on, on offline before we? Uh, it was either the Perfect Life Retreat or the Empire Business Summit. Yeah, it was a bunch of entrepreneurs, and one of them fit. had some Navy SEALs. Yeah, yes, yeah, cool yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, you know what? What are some of uh, like you know over this time, and what are what's some of like the big ideas that you think had a big impact in your life in the last year? Well, I mean. I've had somewhat of a entrepreneurial, you know, spirit for many years, but I've been working in the system, you know, the machine. And sometimes I, you know, call it like unplugging from the matrix. Like, you know, there's a different way to do this, but there's not people who've done it before you. So you literally have to reinvent the wheel sometimes. And you just have to get brave enough to say, like, I'm going to figure this out. And so I did yeah. some business coaching with Pedros and some of those guys and went to these conferences. And, and you realize too that, like, nobody really has this figured out. They just, you know, believe in themselves. They put, you know, one foot in front of the other and they, they make it happen. Yeah. Um, and so, you know, just being around some, you know, 
motivational, you know, people is great, but you have to self-motivate. And, uh, you know, these guys kind of gave me those tools to figure out how to do that on my own. And that's, uh, that's been you know phenomenal for my uh, career and, you know, personal self-growth. And you know, that's the thing is that, you know, I, you know, definitely learned a lot in medical school and my training, but like, you know, the past three years I've read and, you know, interacted with people that I never would have, you know, approached those topics before. And you really realize that, you know, you're going to be a lifelong learner because those are the people that really kind of figured out, you know, how do you do this, you know, optimally, how do you, you know, live gracefully? How do you live in a community? Um, you know, so it's, it's just a, every day is a, an adventure and, you know, these people kind of help me put me on that right path. Yeah. I love that. I mean, you're taking like bold, decisive action, right? Mm-hmm. Instead, I mean, right. like you said, especially being an entrepreneur and doing things. And I know that feeling, it's like, it can be scary. There's a lot of unknowns and every day you just taking that step forward and, and just keep doing it because versus sitting on the sidelines and thinking about what you might do or could do and should do. Oh, for but, sure. Uh, I mean, I had, you know, I had the analysis paralysis for so many years and, you know, people used to make fun of me like, you know, it was like, I would be thinking about like the 18th domino, like, well, I got to fix this. And, you know, I need a marketing person for this. Or like, you just need to do X, Y, Z first. Like, what is your first step today? And so, yeah, that's one of the things I learned from them, you know, is that imperfect action beats perfect action. Like you're going uh, to mess up, just figure that. it out as you go. So, you know, don't sit around, you know, when you're really anxious or something, you probably need to be doing something about it. Not thinking love about that. it at that point. Love that. Hey, um, I'm getting ready to go into the lightning round of questions with you. But right. before I before I do that, is there anything that I didn't ask you that you wish I had asked you? I think we hit upon the you know the majors. You know, how does heart disease happen? You know, what is the circadian rhythms all about? How do you optimize your sleep? You know, I think I think we hit upon it all today. And and just something I wanted to mention before we go to lightning round is that you something I didn't mention is that. You you were actually you starred in a, in a movie on Netflix. It's called Unflame Me, right? Correct. It's it didn't make it to Netflix. It's on Amazon Prime. Uh, okay. Yeah, one of my patients uh, had some autoimmune conditions, and she did not necessarily want to uh, stay on the uh, you know lifelong steroids and immune modulators. And she you know figured out that there's things you can do from a lifestyle, nutrition standpoint, and exercise. And uh, I just kind of helped on her journey, and she reversed her autoimmune conditions and is doing well to this day. So she made a documentary about it. And uh, it was actually you know the, the funny side story is that like I think she asked me three times to do it, and I said no uh, because because <laughs> before I did that like there's no chance I would have been doing this podcast today. I did not like to be videoed. I did not like yeah. to be you know, interviewed. And I said, fine, I'll do it. And she told me like she was just going to put it on PBS. I'm like, well, nobody's going to watch PBS. So who cares? But then she puts it on Amazon Prime. I'm like, oh, some people are going to see this now. So, Yeah. yeah. That's huge, man. And uh, we appreciate you. I mean, just taking, like you said, your Thank bold you. action and it's you're showing up in the world and in a, in a very big, powerful way. And, uh, like you said, all of us get to benefit from that. And so if you were, if you were holding that to just yourself or just St. Louis, then that's great. I mean, that's a great life where, you know, you did great, but man, the impact that you're going to make just in the future is, is just, and what you're making right now is just huge. So thank you. you. All right. Uh, let's jump into the lightning round of questions. Ready? Let's do it. If the old you could see the new you, what would the new you say? I guess I should say, is it the old me, like in the future old me or my true old me is when I was younger self? <laughs> no, like, <laughs> like your old, old you is like, uh, your younger self. I would just tell myself, 
just believe in yourself more and just take the action sooner. Like you will figure it out. You know, you're going to fall down, just get back up and keep going. And then the people that you need to know will come into your life. I, you know, you know, the, the law of attraction, I don't quite understand how it works, but it is working. I, I completely resonate with that. Yeah. I, 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 I it blows my mind. Yeah. For me as well. Yeah, and how that, that law of reciprocity and law of attraction, it just, it, it just seems to be circular and just, if, if you believe in it and you just do it and you put out good energy, good energy always seems to come back. So I couldn't agree more. Um, what, are, what are some choices that, uh, that you made in, in your life that made you who you are today? It's a really deep question. Um, it was more that, you know, I just really kind of initially followed the path I was always supposed to go on. And it was, you know, I had my head down for so long, you know, like, okay, it's four years of high school, four years of college, four years of medical school. Okay. Uh, three years of internal medicine, four years in the Navy, three years in cardiology. And I just had my head down the whole time. Like I'll always be, I'll be getting there. I'll be getting there at some point and I'll start living my life. But now I realize like, Oh no, that is your life. You have to live today. There is nothing promised in the future. So I've become very much more present oriented. Um, and I think that's one of my uh, kind of superpowers right now is that like, I know nothing is given and, you know, give back to the world, you know, help others add value to them and the world will take care of you. That's so cool. What are, uh, what are some exciting projects that you're working on right now? So I've been, uh, little bit uh, put on the back burner because of the way that the pandemic shut down uh, the world travel because I really do enjoy that traveling. You know, I'm going, you know, supposed to go to uh, Peru and Machu Picchu this year that got uh, delayed. But um, but I'm very interested in opening back up, uh, having some health retreats. I've done one uh, last year in Puerto Rico. Um, I've been doing one coming up in November down in Cancun. Um, and it's really just kind of showing patients and friends and colleagues, whoever wants to show up, um, how, you know, you actually have an optimal circadian day, you know, you know, I can do all the talking, I can kind of, you know, put the videos on stuff, but like, sometimes it's just better to like put the person in the right environment and show them exactly how to do it. So I'm excited to kind of do more health retreats next year. Um, definitely adding more, uh, photobiomodulation or laser therapy to my practice. Um, I didn't go into it today and I'm not gonna put it on because it makes you look kind of crazy, but this is the, uh, the Weber laser helmet um, makes you look like Doc Brown from Back to the Future, but you know, laser straight to the head, so radiating your brain for you know, memory and performance improvements. And so I'm going to start playing with that, you know, the next couple of months. So a lot of light therapy and uh, showing people how to do things uh, out in nature. That's kind of the goal. Now that a Weber for people that can't that are just listening to this and they're not using the video that we're going to record um, that thing that you put on top of your head. It, when you first when I first saw it, it, it looks to me like what people put on their head to like grow hair back. Now, that's not what you're doing. You're actually stimulating it's for the brain specifically. And I know there's another like biohacking device called a Via Light that I think does something somewhat similar. Is that would that be in the same it's kind of correct? They're kind of in the same category. Um, the Via Light people were first. Um, the Weber one just came out uh, November of 2019. They use a uh, 810 nanometer uh, near infrared because it can penetrate like five centimeters into the brain. You know, your brain needs a lot of energy. So this delivers energy to the mitochondria in the brain. Um, and you know, there's very interesting data on depression, anxiety, uh, Alzheimer's, Parkinson's. But you know, for people who have healthy brains, well, maybe it's going to help keep your brain healthier for longer term. So, What does something like that go for price-wise? Do you know? Uh, they're about three grand. 
So, okay. uh, so yeah, right now you gotta be kind of like a semi-professional biohacker if you want to have your yeah. own. Um, but I'm hoping to, you know, play around with that a little bit enough that I know, you know, some better protocols and then I'll start offering it locally in my office. You know, patients can wear it, you know, when they come in to see me and see how they like it. And then, you know, ultimately they're hardcore, then maybe they'll get their own, but otherwise I'll, I'll just have them in my office for people to play with. That's so cool. And then Dr. Twyman, for the, the retreats that you're, you're doing, is, is there a website or something that people can go to or... Um, are you just kind of offering that on a more local level right now for the retreats? It's not that it's not open to the general public. It was mostly to my uh, current patients. Um, yep. But yeah, my main website is drtwyman.com. Just D-R-T-W-Y-M-A-N.com. Um, same handle, drtwyman on Instagram. So, uh, you know, it's going to be uh, in Cancun the week before uh, Thanksgiving this year. I'm not expecting a lot of people to travel this year, but uh, yeah, uh, but but definitely next year uh, we'll have uh, one in Cancun again, probably because there's a lot of interesting healing possibilities down in uh, Cancun. Uh, yeah, kind of like the magnetic flux of the Earth is better down there, so you can uh, earth and ground a little bit uh, more uh, effectively there. Uh, but we'll do some also down in Puerto Rico. Fantastic. Um, Couple more lightning round questions. Sure. What? Uh, who's someone in the biohacking or just wellness world that inspires you today that you follow? One of the biggest mentors has been, you know, Dr. Jack Cruz. You know, I came upon his work a couple of years ago because uh, a friend was helped by him. Uh, my friend had multiple sclerosis and really wasn't getting well with a lot of the traditional treatments. And Dr. Cruz really showed him the way of how this light water magnetism really uh, uh, repairs your mitochondria. And so... You know, I've uh, been deep uh, down his uh, um, pathways for the past couple of years and uh, met him a couple of times personally. Um, and so he's one of the big mentor, um, you know, Dr. You know, Gabrielle Lyon. I've, you know, was put in contact with her from uh, Bedro Schoolian um, and just learning more about how muscle protein synthesis works. You know, I've, you know, always known exercise is important, but, you know, I didn't necessarily always focus on the strength training, but, now that I got the X3 bar and not injuring myself with it, uh, I'm going to really focus on the strength training in the next year. So. On the X3 bar, I just want to give you a, a warning. Be careful also on the deadlift because uh, one time I was eking out an extra rep and uh, I, I let the bar go and it just slammed right in my oh, foot. So I'm sure. Kind of like what you did with the chest press. Watch out for that. Yes, okay, just for sure. A little tip. <laughs> um, <laughs> any any book? I'm a big reader. Any books that that you'd recommend that had just a lot of impact in your life? Maybe one to three books that really stood out for you. So I'd say from like a medical book um, that's written for the kind of layperson. I mean, the Circadian Code is probably the best you know starter book for people to understand how your circadian rhythm, your 24 hour cycle, really works. You know, when I read the book, I was like, it was so straightforward. I was like, it cannot be this simple. Like, just help <laughs> people stop eating. You know after five o'clock at night or something like that, or six o'clock at night. And, you know, they'll lose weight and they'll sleep better and their insulin is good. But I'm like, all right, well, I got to try it myself because, you know, you're a biohacker. You got to do it yourself. And, you know, my wife does it too. And like, holy cow, your sleep does improve if you do this. And so I, you know, taught many patients about that book. Um, you know, from a probably kind of an entrepreneur type book, you know, Bedros's book, Man Up, was very good about, you know, how do you actually lead people? You know, I, you know, currently I have a team of one 
uh, other than myself, but, you know, I have ideas of, you know, how, you know, when I scale this up, how things are going to go with that. But uh, Man Up was a very good book about his uh, entrepreneurial journey of not knowing what he was doing for quite a long time and, you know, being an ineffective leader and how he transitioned to being a very effective leader to a, you know, very successful uh, fitness franchise. Uh, but also just how he became a better person. And that's not that, uh, you know, the business side of it was the, the best part of it is just how he became a better man and better person for his family. Um, so those are probably two best books uh, uh, that I thought of. And then the other one is, <laughs> you know, uh, probably Meditations by Marcus Aurelius, a super old book. Uh, you know, it's, you know, 2,000 years old, but uh, it's all about Stoic philosophy. So it's a very interesting book on, you know, how to truly live your life, live it, you know, live it in the moment. Um you know, kind of start at the end, like, you know, you're going to die. Okay. What are you going to do until that day? So it's just a good way to kind of reframe your, uh, reframe your day. Yeah. I love a stoic philosophy. And I know Ryan holiday has a great book that kind of sums up a lot of some of the stoic philosophy, which is, which is great, but yeah, that's a great book too. Um, any rituals we kind of talked about, you kind of actually outlined it, but just kind of recap any rituals or hacks or practices that uh, you do on a regular basis. I know you kind of already outlined your day, but is there anything that like really that you really try to get in your day every day? Pretty much without fail, I'm going to do the meditation. I mean, it's an extremely rare time that it's not. It used to be only if I was traveling, I'd sometimes miss a day or so, but uh, um, meditation was probably the best thing I added to my life three, four years ago, just because of the what way kind of meditation it, uh, are you doing? Uh, right now it's just, uh, using the inside timer and just doing, uh, my own thing. Um, you know, previously done like headspace for two years and I, I literally still have like Andy's voice buried in my head, like some of his guided meditations. Um, I, and I always recommend to the patients, you know, like they always think that their mind has to be completely still. And it's like, no, no, it's just about like getting your mind to come back to the center. And, you know, Andy was pretty good about teaching me how to do that. Yeah. Um, so meditation was very big. Um, for a while, I'm, I'm not doing it as much, uh, but, you know, measuring heart rate variability. Um, so for people who are really hardcore athletes and stuff, you know, you want to know if your heart rate variability is kind of shot. If it is, uh, you're probably overtraining. You need to kind of uh, take a deload day or two. But there's some interesting data that heart rate variability may be one of the first metrics that gets messed up if you're coming down with a viral illness. So uh, when COVID was really hitting, I was checking it routinely with, you know, you know the core sense and stuff. And uh you know, measuring uh, the da daily HRV in the morning time. Um, exercise is now back into the, into the routine. You know, definitely during beginning days of COVID, you know, didn't put on like a COVID-15, but definitely got out of, you know, the usual habits. And now it's uh, now it's back on full speed ahead, you know, doing the, you know, regular exercise. So, you know, usually don't miss exercise, don't miss meditation and, uh, you know, try to do something uh, good for society every day. So, yeah, that's huge. Hey, really quick, um, before we wrap it up, as far as like light panels or I know like, you know, Juve is a really popular brand, but is there any brand that, I mean, you seem well-versed in photobiomodulation. Is there anything that you have kind of experimented with that you really like? I know you mentioned a Weber a lot. Um, yeah. Any, any so it's, uh, it is one of the things where, um, it's apples and oranges because you cannot necessarily compare each manufacturer's panels uh, directly. Uh, and so for the most part, unless you're, you know, having the gear at home to measure the wavelengths and the power intensities from the devices, you got to kind of trust the manufacturers that what they say is what this is. Um, so, you know, I know a couple of the uh, owners of a couple of these companies and, you know, some of them are extremely active on social media. So if you shoot them a message, they respond back, you know, so I feel pretty confident recommending them. So I mean, I'm, this panel I got by me is by EMR Tech. 
EMR-TK. Um, Gimba Red also makes some very good panels. He has yeah. some very great data on you know the the dosing. That's actually the hardest part is figuring out exactly what the correct dose is because every organ system requires a different amount of time, different intensity of light, you know, distance from light. So that's all stuff I'm teaching myself right now so I can teach the patients because that's their biggest concern with it. Yeah. Um, so those are kind of the two kind of bigger panels, you know, for the medical grade stuff, Weber laser makes, you know, the helmet, they make this wristwatch and then they make that IV laser and then Thor laser is where I did some of the training with. Um, that's not something that uh, the home user is going to have, but the, uh, the Olympic athletes in 2016 all were like laying in this thing. looks like a tanning bed, uh, the Nova yeah. Thor bed um, that uh, really charges up all the mitochondria all at once. Um, so uh, those are kind of the, kind of the high level uh, companies that I kind of looking at right now. Yeah. Thank you. That's awesome. I'll put all those in the show notes, by the way. Um, last but not least, I think you already mentioned it, but let's mention it again. Where can people find you, Dr. Twyman? Well, I just want to thank you first for uh, having me on the show. It's been an excellent conversation. I always enjoy talking to a fellow biohacker. Um, and you know, places that I can be found, mostly it's Instagram. Uh, it's Dr. Twyman, D-R-T-W-Y-M-A-N. Um, same handles on like, you know, LinkedIn and Facebook, but mostly it's on Instagram because I put kind of the biohacking stuff in my stories most days. Um, and then my main website is uh, drtwyman.com. Awesome. Thanks so much for being on the show. Thank you for having me. All right. five-star review there you can follow me or you can follow me on spotify and if you're interested in life coaching or health coaching you can find me at joelevancoaching.com and i'd love to connect with you there thanks and